Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. What's going on, church? How are you doing? I want to take a moment and welcome all locations and those that are watching online. Come on, one more time. Can you give it up for everyone that's with us? So glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Derek, and I have the privilege of being the worship pastor here at the Block Church. And I'm so glad that you braved the elements to get to church. You're not soft. You came to church. Give it up for yourself. <laughs> Well, we are in week three of our series, How to Get Close to God. Have you guys been enjoying it this far? Uh, and so uh, as I was preparing for uh, this week's message, I thought about this, this funny story. Uh, probably about five years ago, uh, we went to, or some of our staff, we went to a conference out in uh, Alabama. And it was an amazing conference. And here's how you know it was amazing. They had free Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. You know, it's always a good event, a good place if there's free Chick-fil-A. I mean, even Chick-fil-A you got to pay for, so let alone being free. And uh, Pastor Xavier, he was actually on this trip with us, and uh, Pastor Xavier is our Northwest location pastor. And at this time, he was, he was what I would consider a young bull. Um, actually, he still is a young bull, but he was a young, young bull then. And so they had the free Chick-fil-A, and we got our sandwiches. We were eating, having a great time. And I look back, and I notice that Pastor Xavier is back at the, the Chick-fil-A stand. And so I'm just watching him. He has no idea that I'm looking at him. And he's, like, literally, like, just putting his hand in the container, but he's, like, trying not to look at the container. And I just look over at him. I say, bro, you don't have to steal it. It's free. <laughs> my, my man was triggered. He was like, let me try to, like, it's free, bro. You don't got to steal it. It was an endless supply. And that's the theme of our message today, endless supply. Look over at your neighbor and say, there's an endless supply. Endless supply. And so if we want to get close to God, then we must stay in his presence. There's an endless supply of his presence, and God always desires that we dwell with him, not just on Sundays, but day by day and moment by moment. See, when we worship God, it reinforces that he is the source of the goodness and the favor that we experience. When we worship him in the good times, as we're mature, we worship the God of the success and not the success itself. But even in the bad times, it's great that we worship because when we worship him in our difficult circumstances, it allows our faith to go to a deeper place in God and it bonds us to our Savior like nothing else. And so if you want to get close to God or stay in his presence, then it requires that you give him praise and that you worship him in every season and in every circumstance have a perfect example of this. In fact, we're going to talk today about one of my favorite characters in the Bible by the name of David. Anybody know who David is? He's an amazing man after God's own heart. But in the text that we're about to read, David is in a difficult circumstance. He's in the wilderness. And the scriptures don't specifically tell us which season of his life that he's in, 
And commentators, they're not absolutely certain which point this is. It could have been the time where uh, he was already king and his son was seeking to uh, revolt and cause a rebellion uh, and he had to go into exile. Or it could have been the time where he was not yet king and King Saul knew that he would be king and sought to kill him so that he never reached that point. We're not certain which one it is, but one thing we know is that he was in the wilderness. Now, Isaiah the prophet paints a picture of what David's current situation is in Isaiah 47, 8, 40, verses 7 through 8. He says, the grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Then David himself references this later in Psalm chapter 103, verses 15 through 17. David says, our days on earth are like grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Why am I telling you this? Because both David and Isaiah had this remarkable understanding that life is fragile. It can be difficult and ultimately it's short. We're like the grass. We fade. The prime of our lives are like the flowers. It ends. And our circumstances are sometimes like the wind. It's heavy hitting and sometimes unbearable. But thankfully, the word of the Lord, the creative breath of God, and the hope that we have in our Savior is unchangeable, unshakable, and unbreakable. You see, all of us, no matter what age you are, where you come from, we have an expiration date. The things in this earth are all at a limitation, but the presence of God and the things of God have no end. There's an endless supply. And it's interesting because when you think of wilderness, I'm sure your first thought is not endless supply. Actually, me personally, I don't want to think of the wilderness at all. I'm a city boy. So anything that involves like grass and trees and get me far away from it. But if you read scripture, you will find that God does amazing things in and through people while they're in the wilderness. So what does it teach us? That even though we don't always like the wilderness, the wilderness is sometimes necessary to cultivate the worship and the praise that God is seeking from us. This is multiple times in the Bible where God shows us even uh, in other examples about why the wilderness is so important. Before we even get to David, let me give you a few examples. The Israelites, they went through the wilderness because God wanted to teach them how to trust him. Moses led the people of Israel through the wilderness after they escaped the bondage of Egypt and they were hungry and they were thirsty. And so Moses in faith prayed to God to sustain them and God responded with manna and with water. So in a place of struggle, they learned the true source and how to trust in God. You know who else was in the wilderness? Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was getting ready. He was preparing to enter his largest ministry season of his life. And so he was in the wilderness and after fasting, naturally, he was hungry. And so Satan came to tempt Jesus to challenge him to turn the stones into bread. And because he's Jesus, he definitely could have but what kind of God would we serve if he felt he needed to prove himself to Satan? 
And so instead of succumbing to the taunting of the enemy, Jesus instead uses the power of the word of God to defeat the enemy. You see, in both wilderness stories, you see a common theme. There's a theme of both struggle and hunger, but you also see that the wilderness serves as a source of nourishment from God, a location for God's testing and revelation, and a context for the transformation of God's people. And so here we have David, who's experienced the wilderness three times. Not only does he experience the wilderness three times, he experiences the same place three times. It was called Judah. The first time was when he was young and he was tending to his father's sheep. So it was there where he learned to hunt. He learned to use his slingshot, which we know later proved to be successful or necessary. He learned to fine-tune his musical abilities. He learned how to uh, just enjoy the beauty and the majesty of God that led him to pin all of the Psalms we see in the Bible. And then it also taught him there how to uh, uh, shepherd the sheep that later prepared him to shepherd the people of God. And so we see in this first place that David's wilderness experience really served as a training ground for him to learn how to worship. Then there was the second time that I already mentioned where he was being hunted by Saul before he was king. And so he finds himself in the wilderness hiding, but it was there that he learned honor, which is also worship. Then there was the final time that he was in the wilderness where his son was seeking to dethrone him and he had to go to exile because they had uh, incited a rebellion against him. So now he's in the wilderness facing probably the largest betrayal of his life. Can you imagine the father's thought when his own son is trying to take away the kingdom? But I can only imagine that as he's in that third wilderness experience, the praise and the worship and the character that he developed in the previous wilderness seasons helped him sustain probably the most painful season of his life. See, the wilderness teaches us something. And even amidst all of this, we get to the scripture and we see David's posture. In Psalm 63, verse 1, here's what he says. David says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So here's our first point. Water, not water, worship. Worship draws us close to God because it moves our attention back to our source. See, remember that David is in the wilderness. And if you know anything about the wilderness, obviously he's in a circumstance that he doesn't desire. But David does not focus on his circumstance. In fact, if it was me and I was in this story, the, the chapter would have started off in a very different way. It would have definitely been in the King James Version for dramatic effect. I love the thou and thus. Like, I feel like when you talk like that, it's more impressive to God. And so I would have been like, oh God, my God, I'm hot. Why hast thou chosen to forsake me and leave me amongst this terrible wasteland? Please come save thy servant. That's what my scripture would have sounded like. So thank God that I was not in that time because David, much more mature and wise, he draws from the endless supply 
And instead of focusing on his surrounding or his current circumstance or maybe the feeling of discomfort, he chooses to focus his attention to the God that's more powerful than what he's experiencing. He teaches us a lesson. So you know why many of our problems seem so big and it feels like we can't overcome them? It's because we worship our problems more than we worship our God. Want to know how, what that looks like? What does that, what does that mean? Well, yes, while worship in most cases has a religious connotation, there's one uh, definition that really defines what I mean. And it defines worship as extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of high regard. And so what does that look like tangibly to worship your problems or worship your situation more than you worship God? Well, you might say, you know, uh, I can't come to church today. You know, obviously not you guys because you showed up. But I can't come to church today. I'm too tired. I have so much going on. Well, you friend, you worship your time. You might say, I can't, I can't give uh, of my money or my resources because I have too much going on. I have too many obligations financially. Well, you friend, you worship your money. You might say, man, I can't get free from this sin or addiction or leave this unhealthy relationship. Well, you friend, you worship your sin. But there's a remedy. If you learn how to refocus your attention away from your circumstance or what you're experiencing and move towards a God-focused worship. What does that look like? God worship is any activity that draws your heart back to its source, which is God. So it's worship for you to be here right now. It's worship for you to, to sing, to create. It's worship for you to sacrifice. It's worship to love. It's worship to give. Worship is not just a slow song, but it's living your life in such a way that glorifies God. And so when we don't stay connected to our source, we thirst for the wrong things or we start to worship our surroundings and not the source. Or we find ourselves only running to the source in times of crisis. Speaking of crisis, do you guys remember uh, a few weeks ago when there was the Philadelphia uh, water crisis and uh, our phones were being abused by text messages of water on, water off? In fact, some of you guys are in this video. You were at the shop right of the Costco just acting a fool. I uh, saw so you guys cutting people off, trying to get there. Do you know what? I had, I had a thought about, you know, just the water crisis and what we experienced. Haven't we always needed water? Hasn't water always been good for us? Hasn't water always been crucial and beneficial to our survival and well-being? Yes. But we only recognize the necessity of water once we are facing the potential of being without it. And so it's the same with the presence of God. Haven't we always needed the presence of God? Hasn't his presence always been good for us? Hasn't his presence always been crucial to our survival and well-being? But yet sometimes we only run towards the presence when we are faced with a crisis. Hmm. And so God will sometimes allow the calamity because he wants for us to understand and see that he is the true source. And so he will stop at nothing to redirect you to him. It's not because he's 
mean or wants to taunt you, but he wants you to understand that what he has for you is better than anything else you could search for. That's why sometimes we're left with this endless chase of searching for things or other people because it's only the presence of God that can fill us. You ever had like a, a thirst or you were dehydrated and you went to get something to drink, but maybe you like grabbed the juice and you just find yourself like you keep drinking the juice because you can't get that thirst quenched. But then you go and grab that water and you have that two or three sips and you do like they do in the commercials. <sighs> well, it's because the water was created to actually quench your thirst but yet you're trying to use other things to substitute for what was created to quench you. It's the same with the presence of God. We are looking to use all of these things to find all of these things to quench our thirst, but only the presence of God, only his power, only his spirit can fill the emptiness that you feel. I want to encourage you, if you've been searching, if you've been looking to fill your life with a void, there's only one thing that can do it, and it's the presence of God. It's Jesus. You don't have to search in meaningless things that are only temporal, because when this life ends, so will those things. But the presence of God, his spirit, his power is lasting, and it will always be available to you. You don't have to search. And what I love about God is that unlike the grocery store, he has an endless supply. Never runs out. You don't got to cut each other off for it. It's going to be there for you. It's waiting for you. And so we have to plug into God as our source, not other things that don't satisfy. And here's the truth. You will not always feel like it. You will not always want to. But maturity teaches us how to press into the source, even at the times where we don't feel like it. It's a great quote by Spurgeon that I love so much. And it says this, learn from this and do not say, I will get into communion with God when I feel better, but long for communion now. It is one of the temptations of the devil to tell you not to pray when you do not feel like praying, but pray twice as much then. See, how do you get too close to God? Well, you worship him when you don't feel like it. You pray to him when you don't feel like talking. You run to him when you feel like walking away. David goes on in Psalm 63, 2 through 8 to say this. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me, Lord, more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. And what I love so much is that David has still not addressed his problems. He has still not addressed his circumstance. But now he begins to allow his body to express or to respond to what he's thinking in his heart and his mind. Which brings us to our second point that worship draws us close to God because it moves our mind to think and our body to respond. You see, David is not a fool. He is both wise and able. 
And so he's illustrating that both his mind and his body are engaged in the act of worship. See, it is very clear that David is teaching us what it looks like to use our entire selves to worship God. He remembers his God and then it leads him to praise. He understands that one day he's going to occupy the palace, but he determines that right now, even in his wilderness, the place is sufficient for him to give God praise. And it's encouragement for us all to recognize that God is not waiting for us to get to the place that we want to arrive to, but wherever we find ourselves right now, he's still worthy and deserving of our praise. And I'd encourage you a little bit further. This is coming from me, not the Bible, but I feel, and I've seen from my experience, when you praise him, even amidst your circumstance, you'll look up and find that you'll arrive to the place you desire to be a little bit quicker because you didn't just stay and wait and wallow in your despair, but you praised him even in the middle of it. Hmm. True worship is both an intellectual expression and a physical demonstration. It's not one or the other. You see, the same way that you can worship with the mind that he gave you is the same way that you can worship with the hands that he gave you. The same way that you can worship with the heart that he gave you is the same way that you can worship with the voice that he gave you. You see, when we worship, we don't do it just to do it, just to be seen or to make a spectacle. I know when I worship, I sweat, I get hot. And that is the last thing I like to be is hot. And so if I'm sweating and I'm worshiping God, it's because I recognize that what I'm experiencing comes second to me giving him what he's deserving of. But many of us, we allow our conditions or our preferences to take the first seat and we give God whatever comes after that. How dare we restrict our hands from the God who gave us the hands? How dare we restrict our voice from the God who gave us the voice? How dare we sit down on the God that gave us the limbs to stand? You think about it. If you gave someone a gift and you gave them a specific usage of it and they chose not to do it, how would you feel? And so in the same way, God, the giver of good gifts, we choose to restrict the usage of which he's given those good gifts for. But I'm so thankful that God is not petty like me because I would be like, this is the last gift you're gonna get. (laughs) You gotta worry about it again. But he's so kind to us. He gives us opportunity after opportunity and chance after chance to still worship him and give him everything that he deserves. And so when we worship, there's several things that we do to express it when it comes out of our heart and out of our mind. We sing. We sing to memorize scripture, to remember the attributes of God or the characteristics of who he is, to block out distractions and focus intimately on him. I was at a location the other day and I'm not gonna say which one or where I was because I don't want this person to know I'm talking about them. But I was standing next to him and this man was singing so loud and so out of key. It was not Pastor Xavier, (laughs) it was somebody else. Was singing to the top of his lungs. But I loved it so much because I knew that he was worshiping from a true experience from his God. 
See, that's the thing about worship. It's personal. It can only come from you based on what your experience is and what God has done in your life. It's not enough for the person next to you to lift their hands. You got to lift your hands based on what he's done for you. Not enough to hear what someone else sings. You have your own song based on what God has done for you. We say amen, or we talk back to the preacher, as I would say, to engage and to accept the word that we're hearing or to respond to what God is saying to us. We lift our hands as a sign of submission or surrender to God, or we clap them as a sign of honor and joy. We listen for an opportunity to think and reflect on who God is and what he's done. We participate in baptism as a step of faith and obedience after a decision that we've made. We give as an opportunity to sow seed, be obedient and trust him. We pray to connect with God and to practice our spiritual gifts and we use prayer to encourage others. And so church, we shouldn't just go with the flow. We must be intentional about what we do and why we do it. And the beautiful thing is that with all of the things that I listed, you can do that anywhere and everywhere, and you should. Worship is not just restricted to this place, but you should worship in your car. You should worship in your home. You should worship at your workplace. You should worship everywhere. It's always a good time. And while this is important, it's bigger than being in a building but it's about being the building that houses praise, that houses worship, that houses the presence of God. And we must worship and give God praise at all times and in all circumstances. You see, worship is not a specific place, it's a specific position. Spurgeon says this, and I love it. He says, we ought not to make our praises of God to depend upon our own personal and present reception of benefits. This would be mere selfishness. Even publicans and sinners have a good word for those who, whose hands are enriching them with gifts. Listen to this. It is the true believer only who will bless the Lord when he takes away his gifts and hides his face. Are you able to worship God even when it doesn't go your way? That's true maturity. Even when the situation doesn't pan the way that your heart desired, are you still able to worship him and trust and know that he's in control? David goes on to say in Psalm 63, 9 through 11, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars will be silenced. Now, this is my favorite part because notice this is the first time that we get a glimpse of what David is experiencing. This is the first time that we get a little peek into his problems. But notice, yes, he does acknowledge his problems, but in the same breath, he acknowledges his power, the power of his God over his circumstance. What does that teach us? It teaches us that we don't have to be fake. God knows that we experience life and that we have trials and that we have pain. But children of God, 
Trust and know that in the same breath you mention your problem, the next breath should be you boasting in the power of your God who is bigger than your problem, who is bigger than your mountain, who is bigger than your issue, who is bigger than your circumstance. Yes, I know your problem is real, but your God is even more real and he is able to deliver you out of whatever problem you might be facing. There's nothing too hard for him. I know you see your mountain, but do you see your God? I know you see your issue, but do you see your God? I know you see what causes you pain, but do you see your God? Change your perspective, change your viewpoint. Stop focusing so much on it and learn how to lift your hand and say, even in the midst of the storm, Lord, I'll learn to trust you because he's never given us a reason to think that he won't come through. Hmm. Which brings us to our final point, that worship draws us close to God because it enhances our confidence in him. See, there's a reason why when we gather, when we come together, that when you leave this place, you're probably on a cloud. You feel like you can do anything. You know how you leave church and you feel like, man, I'm ready to fight, but in a good way. I can walk on water. Don't try that, you'll drown. But then Monday comes and Monday starts to Monday. And then Tuesday starts to Tuesday. <laughs> and Wednesday starts to Wednesday. I can go on and on. And by the time we get back to Sunday, we're depleted. And we go through these highs and lows and highs and lows. And I want you to know something, just because you leave church does not mean you have to leave his presence. He never created us just to come in and have these, these fixes. That fix you feel is with you even when you depart from here. He is with you. You just have to access it. See, worship lifts our confidence to new heights as we spend time in God's presence. But I'm gonna give you the cheat code. The cheat code is that you gotta stay in his presence. It's not enough to just get there, but you have to maintain his presence. And how do you do that? Well, the scripture gives us great precedent on what it looks like to boast in the confidence and the power of our God over what we're currently experiencing. David says in Psalms 3:3, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who holds my head high. David said in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. David says in Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Paul says in Romans 8.37, and all things know that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. David said in Psalms, if I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Children of God, he is always with you and he's always worthy of your praise. If you want to know the right time to worship him, if you want to know the right time to give him praise, the answer is always in every season, in and out of 
season, in the ups, in the downs, in the valleys, in the mountains. He's worthy of our praise. It's always the right time. See, many of us, we don't experience the true presence of God because we limit our personal experiences with him. And why we do that could be for a mirage of reasons. Maybe there's guilt, maybe there's shame. But for many of us, it could be because of pride reasons. Think to ourselves, well, I, if I lift my hands, like, what will people say? Is that weird? If I allow these tears that I'm feeling right now to fall, what will people say? Will I be embarrassed? Will they talk about me? But I want you to know that if you're sick or if you're in need of help, what will that pride do for you? Oh, but the presence of God, it will comfort you. It will hold you up. It will wipe away your tears. It will remind you that God loves you. And so I encourage you to lay down your pride and allow his presence to fill you. Some of us, we don't experience the true presence of God because we experience sadness or depression. But scripture tells us that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And so could it be that you're sad because you have not gotten into his presence? Because in his presence, he's given us the remedy. There's joy there. You don't have to experience the sadness. Now, I remember uh, some years ago when I was in grad school and I was really, really uh, in a hard place, a difficult circumstance. It felt like a wilderness, if you will. Uh, I was living in a, in a great place and because I lost my job, I could no longer afford to live there and had to move in with my friends, which I was super grateful for. But it had, it had a huge con, a huge caveat, if you will, that I had five roommates. Yeah, just let that, let that sink in. Some of y'all are like, that's my kids. Like, what do you mean? That's just... <laughs> well, I ain't got none of them, so I have not experienced that. And it was, it was not it. But even in that place where it felt like I did not have much, you want to know something? Still to this day, that probably marks itself as the time where I felt the closest to God. You know why? Because I didn't have any other options. And he showed me in that place that even though you don't have all of the material things you desire, you have me and I'm more than enough. And so even in my low place, I was able to worship. I was able to praise. I read scripture. I got closer to God because he was showing me that he was more than enough for me. And so now when I find myself in a place where I have the blessings of the Lord and I am a little bit more comfortable, guess what? It's great, but I don't boast in those things. I boast in the God who got me to that place. And I remember there was a significant time where God blessed me significantly and I, I really needed, needed it. I remember getting on a plane and I just began to like cry, like uncontrollably. I'm talking about like that Adele song cry. Like that was the kind of cry it was, the ugly cry. And I didn't care who was around or who was watching me. The flight attendant came and handed me some tissue. But I didn't care because in that moment, all that mattered was gratitude towards my savior of what he had just done for me. 
And I wonder if we could ever all get to a place where we're not concerned about who's around us or what they will say and truly allow our hearts and our minds and our body to engage in worship of a God who loves us. Church, I don't care what season you find yourself in. I don't care if you find yourself in a wilderness or in a pit or if you've got it all together. He is always deserving of your praise. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.